What we're going to do today for our disciplines this morning is look at the first page of your handout. So if you have the first page of your handout, uh, there's lots and lots of text on this. Um, get that for you. And we're going to read through this together. Um, the elders wrote this up together about four or five years ago because we decided that we wanted to have something that we could hand to guys and build other guys in the church who would be interested or would want this and show us, uh, show guys what we feel is some of the essentials that have to be right in our mind when we approach God in the reading of his word, either in the morning or the evening or something else. We've talked about how prayer and the word is essential for every believer. And so what we have here is a sample prayer of what we thought would be very helpful to men to remind themselves of why we're coming before the Lord over his word. So what I'm going to do is just going to read this, and we can use this as encouragement. We can use this as guidance for us um, as we go forward and thinking about why it is that we sit down with God's word open in front of us. It starts with, Heavenly Father, I intend this time in your word to be an expression of worship of you, desire for you, love for you, need of you, dependence on you. Any of this and all of this is only possible through your Son, Jesus Christ, who is my Savior. I approach you through him, my substitute and high priest, the one whom I love but have not yet seen. I have your word open before me because you have revealed yourself there more clearly than any other place, and I long to know you better. I desire to see you in all of your glory in the pages before me. I simply and humbly draw near to you to study you. Nearness to you through these pages of scripture is my good. I also have your word open before me because I need to learn of the nature of my sin and fallenness before you so that I might better understand what danger I truly was in and what dangers still lurk within me. I need to see both the sin that provoked your righteous wrath towards your son and your grace that moved you to act as a savior toward me in Jesus. If I do not fight to have scripture's view of my sin today, I will easily be duped by sin's deception and become unaware of sin's nearness to me. I will then be vulnerable to sin's entanglements. Sin at any point can then become familiar to me. And finally, sin can then become a delight to me. Before I know it, I will be in a position of weakness with sin. I will be in the fight of my life to be free from its entanglements. If I do nothing today concerning my view of sin, my view of sin will only grow cloudy. Your word is open before me so that I might undergird my life again today with your saving heart and motive in the gospel of your son who overcame the penalty of my sin and the power of my sin to enslave me. I need the foundation of your gospel under me clearly so that I can see just how you have equipped me through it to fight against my sin and fight for obedience to you through Jesus Christ. I am here to rehearse your bedrock promises in the gospel to my soul. There are treasures in the gospel of Jesus that I have yet to discover in my own life and I long to find them. If I stagger today under the weight of my sin, the gospel will buoy me and provide me the gospel rest I need. And if I'm in a moment of gospel growth and success, rehearsing the gospel will lead me to humbly acknowledge that all the credit goes to you. I have your word open before me also to study what righteousness and holiness of life looks like for the one who has been made into a new creature in Christ. 
In the new man, you have created desire for obedience. I need to consistently feed those new God-given desires in my new condition so that they grow. If I do not study this righteousness and holiness of life and what the blessings of obedience are, I should not expect my desire for obedience to grow. Indwelling sin will do everything possible to quench that desire. By your grace and power, as I see holiness of life placed in front of me in the pages of Scripture, I will long to gain, better align my life and behavior with what pleases you. I desire my heart to be full of you because of what these pages reveal about you and all your triune greatness. I long for you to spill out of me into my home and wherever you lead me today. All who come into contact with me today must interact with a man whose heart has drawn near to you. Their best hope for salvation or growth in the gospel will come from a man who has searched for you in your word and gazed upon your son in the gospel and who walks by your spirit. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Don't expect every one of your prayers to go like this, but these are some ideas for content for your prayer as you get ready to spend time with the Lord. The main thrust of that is um, when you open your Bible, spend good time talking to the Lord first to prepare yourself. Why am I sitting here? What, do I, what am I aiming at when I'm sitting here? What is my goal when I get up and I walk away from here? And so on and so forth. I hope that's a blessing to you guys and helpful to you guys. So let's keep that in mind. Today we're going to be talking about the discipline of shepherding my heart. And once again, you'll, you'll want to have this out handy. We'll be working through this. Um, we'll be using that. So keep that on one side and keep your notes in front of you. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read, start by um, reading a passage that was written by Ted Tripp. <coughs> Sorry, Paul Tripp. Tripp brothers are, are most well known for writing their parenting material, but these guys are shepherds and they know how to shepherd people and they understand a lot about the human heart. They understand that there's uh, two ways we can shepherd our hearts. One way we can shepherd our heart is with our Bibles opened. And the other way we can shepherd our heart is what we tell ourselves throughout the day, um, what we speak to ourselves. And so uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a section from a book called You Talk to Yourself by Paul Tripp. Uh, it's actually just an article. It's not a book. So let me, uh, let me read this and just use this as a way of framing how important we are in our communication to ourselves. This is entitled You Talk to Yourself by Paul David Tripp. No one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you as much as you talk to yourself. People laugh at that statement, but I'm really quite serious. You are in an unending, incredibly important conversation with your soul every moment of every day. You interpret, you organize, you analyze what's going on inside and out of you, outside of you. You talk to yourself about the past, you talk to yourself about the future, and you talk to yourself about what you're experiencing in the present. Obviously, this is an internal conversation. If you had this conversation aloud, people would ask questions about you uh, based on what they would hear. But that's why it's so dangerous. You don't often even realize what you're saying to yourself, but you are. You're saying things to you that will shape your desires, they will shape your actions, and they will shape your theology. What are you saying about what are you saying to yourself about God and your circumstances? Do your words stimulate faith, hope and encourage? Or does your talk stimulate doubt, discouragement and fear? Do you remind yourself that God is near or do you reason with yourself that given your circumstances God must be distant? Here's the question. How wholesome, 
how faith-driven and how Christ-centered is the conversation that you're having with yourself every single day. Do you remind yourself of your need? Do you point yourself once again to the beauty and practicality of God's grace? Do you tell yourself to run toward him in these moments when you feel like running from him? No one is more influential in your life than you are. Because no one talks to you as much as you talk to yourself. What will you say to you today? God bless. Paul Tripp. The danger here is that we are speaking unbiblical messages to ourselves sometimes, and we don't even know it. That's the concern. What was the name of the book? The article is called You Talk to Yourself by Paul Tripp. What I'll do is I will send that out tonight uh, to the, in an email to all the guys um, to the build circulation list. I'll do that. Okay, so we have two ways of communicating to ourselves. We can shepherd our hearts with our Bibles closed by talking to ourselves, by allowing our flesh to speak to us, or we can shepherd our hearts when our Bible is open. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about um, an unbiblical approach, shepherding our heart throughout the day. Um, First, we're going to look at the unbiblical approach and the unbiblical way to do this, and that is that we listen to ourselves, we listen to our thoughts, and we listen to our own reasonings. So what I have is a formula here. That formula starts with, I desire plus I deserve equals I demand. My desires plus what I believe I deserve ends up in a demand. And that's at the top of your spiral diagram. The nature of my desires is a man in a mixed condition. It's really important that we understand that believers are in a mixed condition. Galatians 5.17, the flesh sets itself against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And many times, our desires are good ones. They really, really are. I want to provide for my family. I want to be better equipped professionally. I want to be respected both inside the church and outside of the church. I want to serve this church. I want to prepare well for future ministry. Those are, those are good desires. Those are a lot of really, really good desires. And, and every one of us has those desires within us. We want to be good providers. We want to be useful to the Lord. We want to be equipped. But here's the thing, because our desires are good things, we can lead ourselves into thinking that that is what God has prepared for us because it's what we desire and because they're good. And if that is what God has prepared for me, then that is what I deserve. So I developed this expectation that my desire for something good needs to be met. Because I desire something good, it must be met. So we get ourselves into this place where we think that because something is good and we desire that good thing, that we actually deserve that good thing. And so then it's easy to take that one step further and say, because I desire something good and because I feel like I deserve that, then I demand that. And what my flesh will tell me throughout the day concerning my desires is that I deserve what I desire if what I desire is good. So sometimes we have a a good desire, and what starts as a good desire, if our expectations aren't met, can actually lead to a full-on pursuit of sin. We're very prone to lie to ourselves when our expectations are not met. So I wanted to give you an example of this. I was preparing to teach this lesson two years ago in BUILD. It was a 2016-2017 year BUILD. I'm getting ready to teach this lesson. It was the first time I was teaching this lesson. And so what I did was I set aside Wednesday night, Thursday night, and Friday night to prepare for this lesson. So I sit down on my couch on Wednesday night, and I've I've got Tom's notes, and I'm thinking through them. And I I sit down, and I I pray, 
And I lean back and I look up at the ceiling and I see this water damage starting to form in the ceiling above me. <laughs> yeah, it's Wednesday night. I'm thinking, okay, I've got a build lesson on Saturday morning. I've got to go to work on Thursday and Friday. And actually, I'm going to be dealing with water mitigation. There's this whole world called water damage mitigation that I have no idea about. And so what I said in my, in my mind was, Lord, this cannot be happening. This is not happening, is it? And the drips are starting to come down. I'm saying, Lord, this is not happening. This is not good. This is not what I need right now. And actually, what that was was code speak. And the code speak was, um, I demand that this situation be fixed right now because I need this time to prepare for this lesson that I'm teaching on Saturday morning. Um, God had a different plan for me. He had a plan that I would bear his image uh, while I was working with the water mitigation damage pros and the insurance pros and all of that. Um, and that I would actually trust him and actually walk into a build on Saturday morning less prepared than I would want to be prepared and that I would actually bear his glory and bear his image well in that. Um, and so I was demanding, I was demanding in my heart and my mind that I absolutely needed Wednesday night, Thursday night, and Friday night to prepare. Turns out I, I didn't have any of that time to prepare and the Lord accomplished what he intended to accomplish anyway um, in spite of me. But there was where I had this desire that was a good desire. So I felt that I deserved these, these hours that I needed to prepare. And I was in the place where I was demanding it. And I was teaching this lesson. I was teaching this lesson. So I had to say to the guys, I'm living this right now, guys. I'm really living this. And they were gracious and they were kind. So what I had done is I had deceived myself into thinking that preparation for, for the build lesson on Saturday morning was God's plan for me. I had actually deceived myself into thinking that. God had another avenue for me. He had another purpose and a pursuit for me. I want you guys to write down, if it's not in your notes, Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all else and desperately sick. Okay, so how can we tell when we're deceiving ourselves? We can tell that we're deceiving ourselves when I am willing to sin to get what I think that I deserve. When I'm willing to be impatient, when I'm dissatisfied with God's timeline for the events in my life, when I'm willing to be envious, when I'm dissatisfied with God's financial provision for me, when I'm willing to be lustful, when I'm dissatisfied with God's relational provisions for me, when I'm willing to be demanding, when I'm dissatisfied with God's divinely ordained circumstances for me, and the list could go on and on and on. David. So when it says there the heart is more deceitful than all else, in light of the teaching that God has given us a clean heart has made us brand new, is that heart referring to that brand new creation? Is that applying to people who are regenerated? Right. So what that what that is telling us is that the human condition, the, the condition that a person is born in, that the heart they have, the desires they have, will continue to deceive them throughout their life. The believer who has new affections in his heart for Christ still has within his heart the capability to deceive himself into thinking that something other than what God has said is good is good. Well, it's really not a clean heart then. It's a mixed condition, a heart that's in a mixed condition. Well, it's partially cloudy. <laughs> it's partially cloudy, and, and the sanctification process is that the believer is becoming less cloudy, but still contains... That makes no sense to me whatsoever. I don't see how you can say both things are true. Well, I know that I have affections for Christ that, that love Christ. 
to love him the way that I never did before, um, before I was converted. I have affections for Christ. I love him. And in that sense, that I have something that's new within me. And God poured that into me through his Holy Spirit in Romans 5.5. What's What's there that's that's clouding it is my human nature that that because I'm a descendant of Adam and because my mom and my dad are descendants of Adam, I inherited a sin nature within me. Well, see, what makes sense to me is that, yes, you have a clean heart, but you have this other part, the flesh, but they're not mixed together. And so the heart... The new heart is clean. The flesh is not clean, cannot be rehabilitated, continues to be, um, you know, as sinful as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. But there's no mixing going on there. I, and I, I just have this hard time, I just have a hard time applying that verse to a new believer. Okay. Let's, but um, you're not a slave to your flesh. Okay, let me, let me get that. So uh, let's, let's exactly. do this. Let's, um, let's talk more online. <laughs> I, because we have nine more pages to go through, but I do want to do that. Thank you. Absolutely. Okay. All right. So um, we can tell that we're deceiving ourselves when we're willing to to fall into sin to to pursue what we want. Um, we let our desires inform what we feel like we deserve, and then we allow ourselves to demand these things. And it can start over something that's very very good. But this approach never leads us to true happiness and joy. It only leads us to disappointment and discouragement and despair. And that's what you see when you move down the spiral. Um, You start with disappointment and discouragement and despair as a person continues to pursue and hang on to what they desire above what God is actually doing. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at actions and attitudes that the Christian demonstrates when he listens to himself. And we're going to start from the top. What I'm going to do is listen, list and walk through some of the attitudes and some of the actions that we've got listed there in Scripture. Now, one of the attitudes that's demonstrated by a person when they're listening to themselves a lot is pride. Proverbs 28.25 says, An arrogant man stirs up strife, but he who trusts in the Lord will prosper. It's his pride that's led him to think that his desires are what the Lord has in store for him. It's his pride that lets him think that. But the Lord may have prepared another set of circumstances instead. So because he thinks he deserves what he desires, he ends up asserting his demands on those around him. So his pride actually ends up leading to demands on those around him. And that's what causes strife. So one of the indicators of that and one of the attitudes that's in place when we are listening to ourselves is that we are pride, proudful, pride people, prideful people. Um, Romans 12:16 talks about the person who's wise in their own estimation. Paul's writing to uh, believers at the church in Rome, and starting in chapter 12, he's writing to tell them, okay, I talked to you for 11 chapters about how God saves. This is how you live out your life as a believer. He says in Romans 12, verse 16, be of the same mind towards one another. Don't be haughty in your mind, but associate with the lowly, and don't be wise in your own estimation. The person who's listening to himself does have a high view of himself because he's preferring his own voice above God's. He thinks more highly of his own plans than he does of God's. And his confidence in his own wisdom makes him think that his desires are beyond the reach of good counsel. So being wise in your own estimation is another attitude that's in place when we are listening to ourselves. Romans 3 talks about 
an unbeliever who doesn't have peace, the path of peace they, they have not known. It's a reference to the Old Testament just before Paul starts talking about grace. But the man who's listening to himself has set himself up to be satisfied only when his desires have been met. He regularly finds himself at odds with what the Lord has decreed will come to pass. So when his desires consistently go unmet, he has no peace because he's set his his desires and his affections on the things that he wants rather than what God is doing. 2 Timothy 3.2 talks about another attitude that's being displayed by a person who's listening to himself, and that is that he's ungrateful. Paul is writing to Timothy when Timothy is pastoring the church in Ephesus, and he's telling him about the end times that are coming. He says one of the indicators in the end time is that the unbelievers will be ungrateful. But it also is true for the believer who's listening to himself. The man who's listening to himself has this laser-focused expectation. He's got this expectation that things will work out how he, how he pleases. And one consequence of this is a blindness to all of the other blessings that God puts in his life. When we find ourselves desiring something and striving after something that God has, is not evidently working towards in our life, or producing in our life, or providing in our life, um, we tend to focus on that thing, and dwell on that thing. And one of the things we can do is overlook all of the other blessings that God puts in our lives. Maybe they're simple things like our job and our health and our home. These things are things that are obvious that the Lord gives us every day. Every day we sit down and we eat food. God is proving to us that he's providing for us. Um, so thanklessness is an evidence of someone who's listening to themselves. So is envy. In Romans 129, Paul is talking about the unbeliever. He's talking about the man who is lost, who is under God's judgment. And he's talking about what God gives them over to. And in verse 29, God says that that kind of person is full of all kinds of things, including envy. But the believer can be full of envy too. And that, that takes place especially when he's listening to himself. And the reason why is because he set his heart on this desire and he roots his joy in that desire. And when the Lord has decided to go in another direction in his life and perhaps bless somebody else with something that the Lord has not blessed him with, whether it's professional or relational or anything else, then it's an easy matter to fall into envy over that other person and be jealous and envious of that person. So envy is another attitude that's often displayed by a person who is listening to themselves. Another attitude that's displayed is hopelessness. In Ephesians 2, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, and he's reminding them of the kind of people that they used to be. In chapter 2, verse 12, he says, Remember that you were at one time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Hope here is the assurance of a certain future event. That's what hope always is. Whenever you talk about hope, it's not, oh, I wish I would do well. I, I'm not sure if I'll do well, but I hope I do well. It's actually the assurance of a certain future event. And the only thing that is assured is what the Lord has decreed will come to pass, right? That is what is assured, that when God has decreed something that will come to pass, that it does come to pass. But when we listen to ourselves, we set our hearts and our desires on what we want and what um, we have our affections on that rather than what the Lord will ultimately choose to do. And so what happens in that case is that the person has actually no, no hope because what they've set their mind on is something that they aren't exactly convinced that that is what God is doing. 
So hopelessness is another indicator that a person is listening to themselves because they're so set on their path and what they've decreed that um, it's very difficult to find your joy and peace in things because it, sometimes they're at odds with what God himself is doing. So that's another indicator that a guy is listening to himself. So just in summary, a guy who listens to himself, he demonstrates pride. He demonstrates confidence in his own wisdom. He demonstrates an absence of peace, ingratitude, envy, hopelessness. That's what happens when we listen to ourselves. And there are some actions that, that we demonstrate and we display when we listen to ourselves as well. And you, you see those, you jump over to the right-hand side of the diagram. And we want, um, want to share that there's going to be some overlap between attitudes and actions here. There's some overlap in this. But I think there's some specifics that we can hang on to here that are very helpful. These are things that we'll actually see in our lives that indicate to us that we're listening to ourselves rather than trusting in God's design. Luke chapter 11, verse 16 um, what we can actually be is very demanding. The context here is that people were demanding a sign from Jesus. They were demanding a sign, and um, what they had here was that they believed that they deserved what they desired, and so they were actually demanding a sign from Jesus. And this is an action that, that says, prove this to me, show me that this is what is actually going to take place, um, and the person actually becomes demanding. Um, one that I think is very helpful is in 2 Timothy verse 2 in chapter 3, that a person is actually a lover of himself. This is a really good indicator that you're listening to yourself, is that you love yourself. The natural result of listening to yourself and setting your heart on your own desires is that you prefer yourself above others. And those who trust in themselves and trust in their own wisdom and trust in their own design and their own desires actually prefer themselves above others. So one clear indication that you're listening to yourself a lot is that you prefer yourself over others. Another evidence that you're listening to yourself is that you grumble. Exodus chapter 16. This is a really good um, situation here. This relates back to the thanklessness on the other side of the diagram. Exodus 16, Israel is very, very near to their deliverance from Egypt. Everybody who's been delivered from Egypt is still alive. They all remember. They're in this place which is called the wilderness of sin. And they're there and they're grumbling. And they're grumbling because they're out of water and they're out of food. And they have just forgotten what um, God has done for them by separating the Red Sea, allowing them to walk through on dry ground, and getting them onto the other side and then bringing the water back on top of the army of Egypt. And what they've done is they've, they've lost sight of what they have to be thankful for, and they're grumbling because they don't presently have water and they don't presently have food. Um, and so one of the things that we find ourselves doing when we're listening to ourselves and we've attached our affections to what we desire so strongly is we grumble when we don't get what we desire because the Lord is actually working in another direction. So what we can see when we find ourselves grumbling is that there's a good chance that we're listening to ourselves and we're allowing our words to be the controlling line of influence to our mind. Another indication is that a person is prayerless. Um, the reference here is Joshua 9:14. What has happened here in this case is you fast forward 40 years and Israel is now, uh, they're, they're taking the promised land and, and they've been in the promised land for a very short period of time, but they've had some success. They've already conquered Jericho and they've done a couple other things that are really good. And um, this group of people called the Gibeonites know that, that uh, Israel, that the Lord is with Israel and they're not going to be stopped. 
So they come and they, they seek to make a treaty with Israel. Well, Israel had just had success at Jericho, and they just had success at this other town called Ai. And um, Israel is so confident in themselves that they're not praying. They don't consult the Lord in prayer when these people approach them and seek to make a treaty with them. Same thing happens to the believer when he listens to himself. Because he thinks he's wise and because he prefers his wisdom over God's wisdom, he doesn't really think that he needs counsel from God or from, from his word. And so prayer becomes, prayer at least in that area, becomes a very small part of his life. So if you notice prayerlessness being evidenced in your life, um, there might be an indication, that might be an indication that you're listening to yourself um, and that you're giving your own voice more weight than it really merits relative to God's word. It's also true that the one who listens to himself, another indicator is that he is withdrawing. Proverbs 18.1 says, He who separates himself seeks his own desires. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. Because he finds himself at odds with what God is accomplishing through others, his natural flinch is to avoid those people that the Lord seems to be using. So it's not very pleasant to be around people who are going where the Lord is going if you are not headed in the same direction in terms of your desires. So it's one of the more natural issues there and, and outcomings of that is a person wants to withdraw. So if you find yourself desiring to withdraw from fellowship with believers, um, that might be an indication that you're listening to yourself above God's counsel from his word. So what can I expect if I continue to listen to myself? We can find, expect that this, this pattern of being disappointed, this pattern of becoming discouraged because the disappointment continues, and this pattern of falling into despair because the discouragement continues, will continue. Um, it will continue until the man begins to counsel himself from Scripture. So what we're going to look at now in the second half of our, our time together this morning is counseling ourselves with biblical truth. And we have another formula. Tom wrote another formula, and that formula is starts with I desire. It starts with the same thing. We have the same desire, but then instead of what I deserve, we think about what I truly deserve. Not what we tell ourselves we deserve, but what we truly deserve from God's word. And what that equals is a relinquishment of my own perceived rights. <clears throat> so how do I counsel ourselves throughout the day concerning my desires? Well, Proverbs 16.1 is very helpful towards that end. It says, the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Plans of the heart belong to the man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Man's plans do belong to him. It is right to make plans. It's good to make plans. We need to make plans. We need to make plans. Whenever you're thinking about any aspect of your life, it's really good to make plans. But this verse tells us that the answer, the final word, the period at the end of the sentence is from the Lord. So I'll give a, an explanation. We can make well-laid plans. We can even make plans that we've prayed over, plans that we've, we've drawn up after counsel with a lot of other believers. Those are good plans. It's right and it's good. There's absolutely nothing wrong with making those plans. It's right to do that. But at the end of the day, the course of events that will come about are the ones that the Lord has decreed and determined will come about. So what I need to do is I need to submit my desires and my affections and my emotions to God's predetermined plan in a situation. That's what I need to do. So I need to adjust my desires to not what I desire, but to what God has decreed will take place. 
You drop down eight verses to Proverbs 16:9. The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. The same idea is true here, but he takes it a step further. Even the very steps of a man are under God's control. Verse 1 just talks about his desires and um, understanding those things. And the answer is from the Lord. This actually relates to the steps that the man takes himself. So I need to let go of any desire to control the events of my life with the steps that I actually take. And then thirdly, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 5.9. This is a really good passage. Um, the way we counsel ourselves concerning our desires is, like 2 Corinthians 5.9 says, we have it as our ambition to be pleasing to the Lord. So not only do we um, recognize that the answer is from the Lord and that the Lord directs our steps, but we have it as our desire to be pleasing to him. Not to go along reluctantly with what the Lord has made clear that he's doing, but to make it our ambition to be pleasing to him in that. So that's how we can counsel our desires throughout the day. Now what we want to do is we want to see how we must counsel ourselves throughout the day concerning what we think we deserve. Because as part of our natural bent as human beings to feel like we deserve things. And so we have to counsel ourselves. And the best place to go is Romans to see what we really deserve. Romans 2, verses 5 and 6. Because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each person according to his deeds. There was a time when I was stubborn. There was a time when I was unregenerate. And there was a time when I actually was under God's wrath. And what the believer needs to remember is what they deserve in life more than anything else is God's judgment. If you want to just back up and say, what do I really deserve? Uh, just look at your life. Look at the evidence of sin in your life. Look at a holy God and who he is. And the conclusion you come to is what I really deserve is I deserve God's judgment. I deserve that actually right now. Romans 5.9 helps us take that thought a little farther it says much more than having now been justified by his blood we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him what we need to think about what we deserve here is that my biggest problem my liability for my sin before God has been solved I have a right standing before God because Jesus suffering on the cross so my life should be about submitting to Jesus lordship not by thinking about what I deserve Okay, the verse tells us that we've been um, justified by his blood. So he is my Lord. He is the one who purchased that justification for me. And so I shouldn't be thinking about what I deserve. I should be thinking about submitting to his lordship in my life since he was the one who justified me. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God has a design for me, and that design is eternal life. So I should find my joy in experiencing this eternal life rather than pursuing what I think I deserve. So the next question we ask ourselves is how I must counsel myself throughout the day concerning what I believe to be my perceived rights. Let's turn to Luke chapter 17 to see this. There's a, a wonderful passage here in verses 7 through 10. Jesus is, is giving a story. It's a, a story for the, the disciples. And he's talking to them, and, and the story has a picture of a slave and a servant who's working in the field. He's working in the field, 
and he comes in from the field and he doesn't sit down and, and serve himself. Rather, he comes in from the field and he serves the master a meal. In verse 10, Jesus says, So you too, when you do all the things that are commanded you, you say, We are unworthy slaves. We have done only that things which we ought to have done. So the mindset that the believer has concerning his perceived rights is that he's a servant. He's a slave to Christ. You think about what a servant is. You think about what a slave is. Uh, the idea of rights don't come into the picture very much. I'm a slave to my master, Jesus, so I should put my absolute confidence in his plans for me because he is the master and I am the servant. I am the slave. A slave would never assert his desires above the plan of his master because that slave doesn't have any rights in the eyes of the master in terms of what he pursues. So I should have the same commitment to follow my master. I shouldn't carry into my relationship with Christ all of these things that I believe are rights of mine. What I have been saved into is a servant relationship to my Savior. 1 Corinthians 6 is really, really helpful to help the believer understand who they belong to. So often it's very easy to sit there and consider your, your thoughts and your desires, and it's so easy to think that they're yours and you're self-sustaining. This passage really helps us to understand who we belong to. Verse 19 says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? That's really good. Whom you have from God, the Holy Spirit you have from God, and that you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. My salvation has actually cost me something very, very expensive, very, very costly, very substantial to me, and that is my identity. My identity. Um, I no longer have the identity of someone who is autonomous, who thinks freely, who does whatever they wish. My change in identity to be a servant of Christ actually makes me not my own. If you look at the end of verse 19, I'm not my own. I was purchased at a price. And that purchase price obviously was Christ's blood. So that should sober us and just help us think rightly about when we have desires that, that appear to be in, in conflict with the direction God is going for our life. Very, very helpful to keep that passage in front of us. So what we want to do here is, in the last part of our time together, is look at the bottom half of the, the sheet that we've got in front of us here. And what we're going to do here is look at the attitudes that a person displays when he is counseling himself with biblical truth. These are the things that he displays when he reminds himself of all the things we just talked about. And what we're going to do is we're going to read from the bottom to the top, and we're going to look at just a few of them. Hebrews 12.3 says, Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The believer who's thinking rightly, who's allowing Scripture to inform his thoughts, understands that he is an instrument in God's hands. And he knows that he's incapable of walking in the works that God has prepared for him, under his own strength. And so he is one to who is quick to look to Christ as his example for persevering. So he knows he needs strength, and he is actually strengthened if he looks to Christ and follows the example that Christ has. And the believer is also someone who, when they're listening to Scripture rather than listening to themselves, they demonstrate um, an attitude of self-control. Galatians 5.23, the fruit of the Spirit is 
eight other things, and then self-control. And against such things there is no law. And the believer tells himself that I am free from sin's power, and so I can choose to control my affections, and I avoid and deny those things that feed my selfish desires. So when he's listening to Scripture and listening to God's Word, he's informing himself, and he's using self-control before he allows his, his affections to run. He's also joyful. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, Paul's writing to a young church in Thessalonica, and he says, Rejoice always, because he understands that what he truly deserves and what he's been spared from, the believer is characterized by joy. He has a joyful attitude in all things. Even when things turn out in a way that aren't what he hoped they would be, he's joyful because he understands what he's been spared from. So he has this underlying, undergirding, lasting joy in his life because he's mindful of what he's been spared from. And he's also peaceful. Colossians 3.15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Because his desires, because he's listening to the word, his desires are now in a line with what God has for him. And so he has peace with what God decrees will come to take place. So even though he has a particular desire for what he has and what he sees in the future and where he wants to go, uh, because he's reading God's word, he's counseling himself with truth from God's word, when things don't go according to what his desires are, he has joy in knowing that that is what was provided for him by the Lord. So the believer is someone who is peaceful when he's allowing scripture to inform his thoughts. And he's also content. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul talks about how he's learned to be content in all things. In verse 12, Paul says, I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. And in any and every circumstance, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I'm in. The one who's allowing scripture to inform their desires and scripture to inform their affections gladly accepts whatever circumstances and provision the Lord has for them because he knows that that perfectly aligns with God's purpose for them. So they're content with it because they know it's from the Lord. And lastly, they're submissive. This is a great passage. James chapter 4 helps us understand that it's right to make plans, but to submit those plans to the Lord. James writes and he says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a city. We'll spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. These people have made a plan. And a plan is good. We're going to go here, we're going to spend time in this city, and hopefully we're going to make a profit. But this is what the, the mindset of the believer should be, starting in verse 14. Yet you don't know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor and appears for a little while and then vanishes away. And here's the key in verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and then do this or that. So the one who's thinking about their life and how it's ordered by Scripture and how it's guided by Scripture says, if I'm even alive, if the Lord even sustains me for that day, then I'm going to think about doing those things. Always submits his plans. I've got these great plans, but Lord willing, I'm going to do these things, if I'm even alive. So those are some of the attitudes when a person is allowing Scripture to inform their thoughts. Some of the actions are that this person is a prayerful person. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, again, to the young church in Thessalonica, Paul tells them to pray without ceasing. The one who's allowing Scripture to speak to them and listening to Scripture, his greatest desire is to align himself with God's purpose and will 
so he's eager to enter into prayer to fortify his thinking towards that end. He's eager to say, Lord, I don't know what you have for me, so I need to get in prayer with you and convince myself that your, your plans for my life are right and they're good. And his prayer is characterized by agreeing with the Lord about the Lord's purposes and begging for grace to walk in those plans. But he's also a patient man in addition to being a prayerful man. Again, Colossians 3. The next several verses are going to be from Colossians 3. Those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Because he's convinced of the wisdom of God's plans, and he knows that those plans will come to pass in the Lord's plans and timing, he's perfectly content to wait for the Lord to bring those things about. He's not pushing the accelerator on the timeline of his life. One of the examples for that is how we took our team and sent the team to Papua New Guinea. Um, they actually left for Papua New Guinea in November of 2014. They, they left four years ago. And there was a long runway prior to that. There was probably four or five years before that. So probably since about 2010, these families have been working hard to take the gospel, which is a really good desire to Papua New Guinea. Here we are in 2018, the end of 2018, four years after they left, and they still have yet to speak the gospel to the people. Part of the reason is they don't yet know the language very well of the people, well enough to put it into writing so they can share it with the people. And that is exactly what the Lord has had for us there. The Lord has had a different timeline than, than we thought. And the costs have been much different than we thought they would be. And the time frame has been much different. The people have been much different. The makeup of the team. Um, and what the Lord says in all of that is the one who is listening to him and allowing scripture to inform their thoughts is a patient person because they're content with God's time frame for things. And that can be really, really, really hard sometimes. Really hard. Same passage mentions kindness. Those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of kindness. A person who is listening to scripture and allowing scripture to inform them is a kind person. He's willing to give himself for others because he embraces the Lord's plans. And as such, he's eager to use his time and his energy and his resources and all of his means and all of himself to put in front of him um, the things that God has for him to do. So he's kind. It manifests himself in kindness to others because he's willing to pursue what God has for him rather than what he has for himself, which often is serving self. He's also someone who's very forgiving. Colossians 3.13, the next verse, talks about bearing with one another and forgiving one another. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so you should also forgive. He understands that his task is to be an instrument in God's hands according to God's purpose for his life. So instead of holding fast to his own rights and his own desires, when a brother sins against him, that the one that he's serving, he's eager to forgive that person. He's eager to forgive that person because he wants to maintain the unity of the body, which is so important to God's purposes that God is accomplishing. So when a brother sins against him, he's quick to forgive that person because he's thinking in what he's keeping in front of him in his mind is the idea that the body of Christ needs to be one with one another to accomplish what God is, is doing in the church. So he's a forgiving man. He's also loving. Um, it's the opposite of the one who's unloving in the top half of our diagram. Same passage, Colossians 3.14, Paul writes, Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. The natural result of dying to your own perceived rights is that you're willing to seek the well-being of the others above yourself. 
And that's what love is, is to honor others and to love others ahead of yourself, prefer others ahead of yourself. And the last thing that, that indicates that a person is thinking well about Scripture and that Scripture is informing their, their affections and their attitudes is that they're thankful. This passage ends with three repetitions of being thankful. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, singing with thanksgiving in your heart to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Ultimately, the person who is listening to Scripture understands that he deserves God's wrath, and so his dominating thought in all the things that he has has nothing to do with his own desires. Rather, he's consistently and constantly thanking the Lord for his kindness to spare him from what he deserves. So, if you see a pattern of sin in your life, ask yourself, you know, how am I speaking into myself in this? Am I listening to my own affections? Am I listening to my own designs? Am I allowing scripture to inform my thoughts about what I desire and what I deserve and all those things? So I hope that's helpful for you guys. All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you for these men. Thank you very much for them. Lord, I thank you for your word. I pray for us that as we are men together today, that we would be men who think carefully and who think well about how cautious we must be about listening to ourselves. Lord, I pray for us that you would give us discernment to recognize when we're beginning to listen to ourselves. I pray that you would grow in each one of us an affection for the advice and the counsel of your word. I pray that you would grow us with our familiarity with your word, that we would become much more knowledgeable with your word so that we could become much more obedient to your word. But I pray for each one of us, Lord, would you encourage us where we are doing well, where your word does have a place of authority in our lives? Would you sober us for those in those places where it doesn't? Lord, I pray for my friends here. I pray for us as we, we go from this place. I pray that you would grant us eyes to see uh, your son, Jesus Christ, for who he is, that he is the master and the Lord, and it is our privilege to serve under him. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. <laughs>